Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at FA Radio Brady or on Facebook at Brady Farkas Sports Radio Personality. A fun interview coming up in about 15 minutes with JT the Brick, one of the founding fathers of Sports Talk Radio. He's hosted nationally for many years at Fox Sports Radio, now locally in Las Vegas. He's in the know on all things Raiders, does work for the Raiders radio network, has in the past as well. Also all over the Raiders website when it comes to podcasting. So JT the Brick coming up in a little while. The podcast is always brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. Wait, finally over quarantine. Not completely over, but getting there. Football is back, though. In most places, you can't be at the games, but you can still be in on the action for 60 minutes. Bet Online is your spot. From game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options than anywhere on the internet to wager. And there's always the online casino as well. So head to betonline.ag and take advantage. Here's my tip of the week Dallas, as I tape this, plus five on the road at Seattle. Seahawks coming off an emotional win against the Patriots. A ton of injuries now in their on their defense, and all defense, it's already bad. Marquise Blair out. So Bruce Irvin out. Seahawks can't rush the passer. Dak Prescott might throw for 700 yards. Dallas plus five. Book it on the road at Seattle. All right, here we go. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now, it's your host, me, Brady Farkas. Patriots coming at one and one. They're taking on the Vegas Raiders, who are two and zero. And it should be—I can't believe I'm saying this—that a matchup between the Patriots and the Raiders is a is an intriguing one. It's the marquee TV matchup for CBS in the early time slot. Jim Nance and Tony Romo will be calling that game. So, uh, for two teams that we thought were eh and eh this year, CBS has it as their number one early game. So Patriots, the marquee matchup with the Raiders in the AFC. Before we get to the matchup itself, we all owe Cam Newton a collective apology. We all owe Cam Newton a collective apology. Listen to this. Cam Newton was on WEEI radio in Boston on Tuesday. Aaron, our producer, let's hear Cam Newton number three. Um, I do uh, admire and love the culture of the Patriots. And it's been a place for me that's been therapeutic. This is a place that has been kind of rather challenging for my growth and it's making me better. And also, you know, it, it, it has been a place that has given me everything for my needs at this particular point in time in my life. We owe Cam Newton an apology because we assumed we collectively as society assumed he was a selfish person and a selfish player. 
maybe there were qualities of that in the past. And you see the fashion sense and the suits and the outfits. And you assume that Cam is consumed with him and being the center of attention and how he looks and how he's portrayed. And we have all fallen into that trap. Do not judge a book by its cover. Cam Newton has bought in. And we owe him an apology for that. For all the questions, how will Cam fit in with Belichick? How will they get along? Can Cam change who he is? Cam doesn't need to change who he is. Because right now, at this moment in time, this is who Cam is. Unselfish, team player, buying in, self-aware. He recognizes the value in being humble, in saying and doing the right thing. And he's hit that point in his career, that turning point that many athletes hit, where you realize that money isn't everything. Aaron, let's hear Cam Newton number two, also on WEI. You must understand that is literally the last of my worries. And if we had to put an analogy in it, Mm -hmm. that's probably under so much work at, at my desk. He says that money, if it was an analogy, would be under so much work at his desk. He's hit that point where money isn't important to him right now. Money matters to everybody, but it's no longer the driving force for Cam Newton. And if I've taken one thing away from my now seven years in broadcasting, but specifically the last three or so, I have learned that as athletes get older, the money matters less. Okay, Because when you're first starting out, when your career first starts out, it's about playing time, opportunity, and money. I want to secure myself. And it is it is more selfish when you're younger. I need to get on the field. I need to play well. I need to have good stats, get on the field. That leads me to money, which leads me to financial security, which leads me to endorsements. Cam has all of that. Now, Cam wants opportunity again, respect, legacy, and championship. I've also realized this championships don't matter to everybody like fans want it to. Championships don't define legacies for a running back or for a safety or for a defensive tackle. Championships define legacy of a quarterback, and Cam has recognized that. And he understands that this place at this time with this coach is an opportunity for him to get that championship. If there's any degree of selfishness left in Cam Newton, it is that he cares about his legacy. It is that he cares about how he's defined, and championships will help define that. So he, or will help him achieve that. So he has bought in to the culture of New England. He has bought in to his teammates, to his coaching staff, to the ownership group. And we owe him an apology for that because we didn't think that he was that way, that he was built that way, or that he was capable of being that way. And he has been all of that and then some. He also has the self-awareness. And I think self-awareness is one of the most important qualities in people. It's one of the things, when you realize that somebody is self-aware or has a good self-awareness, you're instantly going to gravitate towards that person. That person is not usually, is usually not arrogant, is usually a little bit self-deprecating, is usually fun to be around, and they know what they are. And Cam knows what he is now, and he knows that he needs the Patriots. He can't call all the shots like he did in Carolina. In Carolina, he's the savior. It was built around him. It was like if the prom if the prom queen was dating Screech. Okay, Screech has to 
you know, Screech has to do whatever the prom queen says. Cam Newton was the prom queen in Carolina. Here, you got to do what Belichick says. You got to do what the organization says. New England is not this way. Cam is not that person of power that he was in New England. Colin Coward, the herd with Colin Coward on Fox Sports Radio, echoed that sentiment as well this week. Because Cam has the self-awareness to go, oh, this culture thing with my talent is really valuable. And he talked. Yeah, so that culture with his talent is really valuable. And Cam has been. I thought it was the wrong move to bring in Cam Newton, not because Cam was a bad guy. I never bought into Cam being a bad guy. I just thought they should have gone with Stidham and saw what they had and and blah, blah, blah. Cam was the right move. Cam has paid off, and Cam is paying major dividends, and this could also pay major dividends for Cam down the line And when it comes to his legacy and then eventually when it comes to money, which we know is not the most important thing to him. But we owe Cam Newton a collective apology. If we thought Cam was selfish, if we thought he was me first, he has shown you repeatedly for the last two and a half months since he's been here that he's not me first, that it is about the team, and it is about the collective unit of which he is just one piece. Good on you, Cam Newton. Bad on all of us. As the Patriots get ready for the Raiders, uh, Aaron, let's get to first impressions. First impressions. My first impression is that I can't imagine the Raiders being good. The Raiders are 2-0, and and I can't imagine them being good. I have seen too much dysfunction from the Raiders in my life to think that this is real. So my gut tells me that the Patriots will win because the Patriots will find a way to Patriots this, and the Raiders will find a way to Raiders this. Okay, when I think bad franchises of my lifetime, the Bengals, the Browns, the Mariners, the Clippers, the Atlanta Hawks, the Knicks, like the Raiders are in that group. And in fact, the Raiders remind me a lot of the New York Knicks. They are historic. They've won championships in the past. Several Hall of Famers have come through the organization, both players and coaches. You look at the Knicks, it's Phil Jackson, it's Pat Riley, it's you know Jeff Van Gundy, who's not a Hall of Famer, but a very good coach. It's Patrick Ewing, Willis Reed. I mean, historic figures with the Knicks. Raiders, Al Davis, John Madden, Marcus Allen. Jerry Rice was there for a spell. Like, the Raiders have history also. And now they're both struggling to stay relevant. They try to be flashy in the wrong times. They're living off their past laurels. They're living off past names. The Raiders are living off the color scheme and the silver and black identity and the, you know, the, the, the one-eyed pirate logo. Like they're living on that brand of toughness and it hasn't been there for 20 years. I just can't imagine the Raiders being any good. So my gut tells me the Patriots win this game. But when you start to examine game things, you realize why CBS has it as its number one early game, right? I mean, the Raiders beat the Saints. The Saints are my Super Bowl winner at the beginning of the year. Saints are a very good team. The Saints dismantled Tom Brady and the Bucks in week one. Raiders beat them, and they beat them by double digits. That's impressive. Derek Carr was great. For all the ridicule he got, 74% of his passes were completed on Monday night. He averaged seven and a half yards in attempt, 11 different targets. He put the ball around. Derek Carr was great, too. Where I think this game gets decided, though, where I think there's a decided advantage for the Patriots is twofold. One, just travel. No, there's not fans in New England for this game to be raucous. But 
the Raiders are making their second cross-country trip in three weeks. They started the year at Carolina, then they went home, and now they're back in New England. That is hard for anybody. That 1 o'clock East Coast start is hard for all West Coast teams. There's a reason why nobody except for Russell Wilson on the West Coast does well coming East consistently, and the Raiders now have to do it twice in three weeks. That is going to matter. Even though New England also had to go from Seattle and you know had to go to Seattle and then come back, they're not traveling like the Raiders are as well. It's their second home game in three weeks. That's going to matter. Even bigger than that, though, Raiders' defense isn't very good. I think the Carolina Panthers are among the worst teams in the NFL, and they'll be among the worst teams in the NFL without Christian McCaffrey for a couple weeks. They scored, thir- they hung 30 on the Raiders. And if not for a weird play call at the end of the game where they handed the ball to the fullback, they may win that game. A bad Carolina team may beat the Raiders week one if not for a weird play call where they hand the ball to the fullback. Saints only scored 24 points. They didn't capitalize point-wise against the Raiders. They allowed, they, the Raiders allowed them seven and a half yards a play. They allowed six yards per rush. And 65% of third downs were converted by the Saints. And, oh, the Raiders don't get after the quarterback. They failed to get a sack on Monday night. Um, that sounds an awful lot like the Seattle team that New England just pounced all over. Okay? If the Raiders are going to allow eight yards of passing attempt, Cam's going to be able to com- – I mean, Julian Edelman had a career day. Cam can clearly pass. Six yards per rush? Well, Cam can rush. Sony Michelle kind of can rush. J.J. Taylor can rush. Rex Burkhead can rush. The Patriots as a team can rush. They can run all over the Raiders. And if the Raiders fail to record a sack on Monday night, you saw what happened when Seattle couldn't get any pressure. Cam's going to eat them up. If Cam can sit back there, bounce, and let his receivers get a chance to separate, because that's the Patriots' biggest issue. The receivers can't separate. If Cam has time to throw, they're naturally going to separate. And Cam's going to be able to pick them apart. So, while I think that Derek Carr can play well again, and while I think that the Raiders' offense is better than maybe we would have given it credit for preseason, the defense is a sieve. Cam will exploit it. The travel will be an issue and the Patriots win, albeit closer than I might have thought at the beginning of the year. Let's get to know the Raiders. Aaron, the opponent spotlight. Opponent spotlight. Raiders tight end, Darren Waller. I mean, who is this guy? This was the scene on Monday night as, the, uh, as, the, uh, as again, the Raiders beat the Saints. Angle set in front of Jacobs. Carr. Going to throw, rolls right, wide open, touchdown, Waller. Beautiful play. Fourth down, write it down. Fourth down and one at the goal line. Mr. Groot gambles, and Derek Carr with a terrific play call. Waller was wide open, coach. Legendary Brent Musburger on the call there, Raiders Radio Network. Darren Waller is 28 years old. This isn't a rookie. This isn't a first-round pick a year ago. He's 28 years old, and most people have never heard of him. He reminds me of that kid who was in high school you played basketball with. Freshman year, he's like 5'10", 140 pounds. Good player. Has made it work. And then all of a sudden, boom, 6'8", and windmilling the next year. I mean, there were like a four-year period where Darren Waller averaged two catches a game. Like eight yards a game. Two catches, eight yards a game. He did that for four years. Last year, 
Last year, he had 1,145 yards, second most at the tight end position behind only Travis Kelsey. He had the most, he had the second most yards after the catch at the tight end position last year, only behind George Kittle. He's in company with elite names, and his head coach, John Gruden, thinks he's better than both of them. Darren's a great player, and our job is to try to get him the ball. And I've said it before, I don't know if I've said it to you, but I'd take him out of any of the tight ends. And I know Kittle and Kelsey are as good as they get, but Waller's right up there with them. This, this is a second year playing the position. It's astonishing what this man can do. I mean, his second year playing true tight end, but he still doesn't play just true tight end. He can be a matchup nightmare for the Patriots. Listen to this. He had 12 catches on Monday Night Football, 103 yards and a touchdown. He lined up in all four skill position alignments. He was outside. He was inside. He was in the backfield. He was at tight end. He lines up everywhere. 12 catches, 103 yards. Who's going to cover this guy? I mean, you can't just dedicate Stephon Gilmore to him, I don't think. Patrick Chung's not there. If they get him with a linebacker, that's where the Patriots are weakest. Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips are probably the best matchups for him, but they're more inexperienced. So I don't know how the Patriots cover this guy and cover him easily. But make no mistake, Bill Belichick, he knows who he is, even though the average non-fantasy playing fan doesn't. And the Patriots will know who he is too. 12 catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown on Monday night, lined up in all four positions uh, on the, you know, again, backfield slot, outside tight end. It's going to be a matchup nightmare for New England. They're certainly going to have to know who he is. All right, let's go out to our guests now. Longtime national radio host, now a radio host locally in Las Vegas, part of Raiders coverage for the Raiders website, and has been part of the Raiders broadcast team. It's JT the Brick. All right, welcome back in as we continue on here in the Believe in Patriots podcast. Very excited to welcome in our guest, longtime national radio host, now a radio host locally in Las Vegas. Part of Raiders coverage for the Raiders website has been part of the Raiders broadcast team. All things Raiders, he knows, heading into week three. It's JT the Brick. JT, how are you? Ready? I'm doing good. Thanks for coming on my radio show, and I'm thrilled to come on your podcast on Believe. I'm ready. I'm rocking. We're, uh, we got an undefeated Raider team. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun being on your radio show. I would have thought I would have had I would have thought I would have had you on my show before you wanted me on yours. So uh, there was a, a cool career moment for me. You were great. You really had really good information on this team, and it's important now because a lot of people are trying to kind of know a little bit more about the new look Patriots without Brady and Gronk and the players that opted out. So you had great information. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of this, I didn't think I would find another SUNY product in the, uh, in the top of the broadcasting world. You're SUNY Geneseo. I went to Oswego. How cool is that? Yeah, I'm from Long Island, New York, uh, Massapequa, Long Island. And I went to SUNY Geneseo in the mid to late eighties and to date myself and went there for a communications degree. And it was some of the best, if not the best four years of my life. So I love being a product of SUNY Geneseo. Well, I've called many Geneseo Oswego hockey games and a professional friend of mine, Christine Lisi, the update anchor at ESPN. She's also a Geneseo grad. I did not know that. And I've heard her for years. Uh, nice to make that connection on that. <laughs> that is uh, unbelievable. And I go, I go back. Uh, we were supposed to go back for the 150th anniversary of my fraternity, Delta Kappa Ta, the DKs, mm -hmm. Geneseo, and it got it got washed out by COVID. Wow. So I missed out on a great trip, and I'm looking forward to going back next year. You know, do you think of yourself this way? Because I, 
you know, you weren't the first, but I think of you as one of the founding fathers of sports talk radio. Do you see yourself that way? Or do you, do you, are you aware you have that legacy to other people? Well, I appreciate that. I've been, this is my 24th year. And, um, you know, I started through the Jim Rome show as a caller. So I came in via, I was a stockbroker at Merrill Lynch and I, I didn't get into the business cause I wanted to get into the business. It was kind of a American idol, win a contest huh. and, and kick a door open. But when I think of the founding fathers, I work for mad dog sports radio. So Christopher mad dog Russo, yeah. one of them, Mike North in Chicago, Scott Farrell, Jim Rome. So there are guys who have been doing it longer than me, but not much longer. So I wouldn't consider myself a founding father, but I was one of the, I think I was the first ever caller to break through at this level and have, you know, 24 years of syndication and some pretty cool gigs out of it. So I'm proud of that. How has the business changed in those 24 years? Because I imagine from what I've heard early days, it was a lot of just take calls, as many calls as you can get. And now some people don't take any calls. Yeah, that's a big change. And that's another reason why I'm happy to be a mad dog because Sirius XM takes calls. I think you're a fraud if you don't take calls. If you don't take any calls, if you don't take any calls, then you're not open to criticism. I mean, how do you how do you get on a radio show and ask people to listen and to buy the products and buy the advertising and not give them an opportunity to call in with criticism or voice their opinion? And there's no one, there's no one that good on the radio who isn't open to criticism or the opinions of taking a phone call and hearing another side of it. You know, I've always been a fan. I'm, a, I'm just a fan behind a microphone. So if I'm, I've always been national too. So if a, fa if a fan from Tampa Bay or Philadelphia or Seattle knows more than I do about the Mariners or the Flyers or another team, of course I want to hear their opinion. I'm not a know-it-all. And now it's changed a lot where it's about Twitter. It used to be about phone calls and now it's about people reading tweets. And then you got some people on the radio who read teleprompters. They don't even write their own material. They don't even go to games. So that's changed a lot. And, you know, I just go back to my roots as a fan and going to games and waiting in line to buy tickets. That's what got me here. You've done both at a very high level. Is it more difficult to do a local show or a national show? It's much harder to do a national show. Anybody can mm. do a local show. I do both right now. You're on my local show in Vegas, which yep. I'm really proud of. It's got local advertisers, a local feel. And then I do, I've always done a national show where a national show, you have to play to everybody. And as I've always said, there's, there's a lot of national guys that probably could do great locally, but they want to be national. Yeah. I think I'm one of them. And then there are a lot of local guys who could easily be national. And this is a compliment to them. There are a lot of local guys. If you look at I'll go back to Christopher Russo, Mad Dog, where you go to some really good hosts that are local. Uh, Damon Bruce, a friend of mine in San Francisco. Yeah. There, are, there are other guys, if they wanted to go national, they'd be great, but they got a local following. But the thing about being national is you got to be on your toes more. You got to know more because there are more listeners normally, and there are more things you have to pay attention to. Look, if I'm in Jacksonville, which is a great market, and I just got to look at the Jaguars and there's no NBA team, and there's no hockey team, it's, and there's no MLB team, how tough is it to do local radio in Jacksonville, even though some guys do it there really well, or gals do it there. So I think national is a little bit different because, you know, you just got to have your head on a swivel because there's always something going on nationally instead of locally.
You know, I'm in Burlington, Vermont, and uh, at my previous station, I was partners with Arnie Spanier for yep. three and a half years. And he's another one of kind of the founding fathers of Sports Talk Radio. And he was on at Fox, same time that you were on yep. at Fox for a long time. And he would always talk about you. Can you confirm you actually know who Arnie is, first and foremost? Arnie is another one. You want to talk about one of those founding fathers, old Laker fan, when you yeah. think Arnie. <laughs> Arnie's had an unbelievable, unbelievable arc in the business. And we worked together at Fox for a number of years. And he's a guy that when he was out in Arizona, up in Vermont, you know, he's he's had some really big success. And there's another guy that I don't I don't judge him by his shift and what market he's in. He's just a guy you can put on anywhere, yeah, anytime. And he could talk sports and he he's very engaging. He knows how to fire up listeners. And he likes to take phone calls, as you know. He's a good mentor to have. Yes, and I learned a lot from him, and he was he was awesome. And I, you know, talked to him all the time. Um, where does the nickname "the Brick" come from? That came from Jim Rome. I was JT from La Jolla as a caller, huh. and I lived in La Jolla. I worked for Merrill Lynch. I was a stockbroker in the '90s, mid '90s, and I used to call in all the time on New York sports. I didn't I didn't agree with anything about what the callers were calling in on that show was regional. It was San Diego. It was a local show before it went national. So I was the guy that really fell in love with that show because I heard all the smack talk and fans going after each other. So I came in as a New Yorker and because of the Knicks missing shots and throwing up bricks and John Stark shooting them out of a championship, he started calling me JT the brick, which rhymes with Knicks and the nickname <laughs> stuck. And, there was another guy who got into this before me, Vic the Brick. He's in L.A. Yeah. Another guy I respect a lot who has a big arc in Los Angeles. But, yeah, I've always appreciated that, and it just stuck, and I've been going by that ever since. Well, let's get to the game. Raiders are 2-0. and Patriots are 1-1. and Are the Raiders real, or is this just eh, fluky early season stuff? No, they're real. I mean, they got a good roster. This offense, I think, is a top-five offense in all of football, wow. period, coming in. They're that good. They are loaded on offense. They don't have a weakness. A matter of fact, when Tyrell Williams, their number two receiver, who was forced into being the one last year because Antonio Brown melted down, if he didn't tore his labrum, you would be talking about Nelson Aguilar, Tyrell Williams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, and an offensive line where three of them have been pro bowlers. So they are loaded. They got a lot of weapons. And Derek Carr, who's been a pro bowler in the past, and they just have good players, and they're injured now. They got two offensive linemen that are out, probably coming into this game. We'll see what happens with Trent Brown, but I think the Raiders can score with anybody, and they're probably, Brady, one more draft and free agent class away from a defense that'll be good because their defense is how their core of their defense has just been built. Trav um, Damon Arnett, first round pick from Ohio State. Yeah, Trayvon Mullen. First, you know, sec I think it was a second round pick from Clemson, right? National champion. So they got their bookend corners now forever. Their safety, first round pick, Jonathan Abram. He's a great player. He's going to be their safety for 10 years. And then you look at Cleland Farrell and Matt Crosby, Corey Littleton, who they brought in, um, Malik Collins from the Cowboys, who's going to be a tackle there for a while. So on that defense, which starts 11, they probably got seven or eight of their pieces long-term. They just got to figure out the holes and they'll be fine. 
who is this Darren Waller guy, by the way? Like you start, like I had never heard of him until last season. He was like three years in a row, four years in a row of two catches, eight yards a game. And then boom, all of a sudden here he is. Same conversation, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. Who is this guy? Well, he was on the Baltimore Ravens and he had addiction problems. He had a drug addiction issues and he was really at the end of his career. He was playing himself out of the league and he was he played himself off the Ravens and the Raiders played a game in Baltimore. And during warmups, one of the coaches, as the tale goes, saw him warming up and they made, a, they made notes about it. And they went back and started studying tape on him. And when they had the opportunity to get him, they signed him. And he is unbelievable. He is just 6'6", 250 pounds. He's like a, a power forward in the NBA, but more athletic. So wow. he's coming off 12 receptions and a touchdown. He had 90 receptions last year. But the problem is, is that there's not an, there's only one football. So Derek Carr has to get everybody involved, but he's the cornerstone of that tight end position. Remember, they have Forster Moreau and Jason Witten, who came yes. over from the Cowboys. So they're pretty deep at the tight end position. You mentioned the defense. That's where I think the Patriots have the advantage is their offense against the Raiders defense. Yeah, there's a lot of young pieces there, but they still allowed like six yards of rush and eight yards of play against the Saints. And the Saints just didn't end up turning it all into points, but they, they moved the ball. Is this Raiders defense vulnerable heading into Sunday? Yeah, I think they are. I, th I think like any young defense, that's a work in progress. The defensive coordinator, Paul Gunther, has good schemes. He had great defenses in Cincinnati, but he also had some better players. And I think the fundamentals of the scheme are set up well, but Nick Witkowski, who they brought in from the Bears, is hurt with a pec injury. He would be a tackler, someone that's out. And you know, they're looking still for their third linebacker. They have Nicholas Morrow, who had an interception in the game, but I don't think he's great in coverage. And the rest of the back end of that defense, like we talked about, is young. So they don't have Khalil Mack anymore. Remember, if they they got rid of Khalil Mack and they got Josh Jacobs. Yeah. They got a bunch of picks. And that's why they got rid of Khalil Mack. But they don't have an edge rusher like that. Mad Max Crosby had 10 sacks last year, and they got to try to find a way to get him going at Foxborough. What about the two cross-country trips in three weeks? Raiders drew the short end of the strip, you know, short end of the stick there. Okay, they're not quite as far as they were in the past being in Oakland, but you still got to go to Carolina, back now to Foxborough. That's a lot of traveling early in the season. They had the worst travel schedule maybe all time last year. They played, remember it was the last year in Oakland. Yes. So they were leaving Oakland. They had to play preseason game in Winnipeg. I mm -hmm. mean, sanity. And then they played in London, right? They were in London yeah. last year. And their schedule was insane. They were gone, I think, seven weeks from the Coliseum at one point. Yeah. The longest stretch in NFL history. So I spoke with John Gruden today. I interview him for TV every week. And you know, he's not making any excuses. It is what it is. They traveled well to Carolina. They got the win. They opened up the stadium in Las Vegas, got a win. And now they go to Foxborough. And as I said, they go to Foxborough and they don't have to face Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, uh, Hightower. I mean, you draw this thing up on paper for the Raiders, they're catching a break because the legendary Patriot dynasty teams, I don't think are waiting for them. I think this is a very good team, but I'll throw it back to you. I wouldn't look at this team as one of the great Patriot teams of all time of the last 20 years. No, I wouldn't either. They're certainly more interesting than we expected them to be. You know, I don't think they're a Super Bowl winner, but 
I also think now they can win a division, which I didn't think a week ago. So, you know, I thought all along they were destined for an eight and eight record and a seven seed potentially. And now I think they can win a division. I still don't think they're going to beat Baltimore or Kansas City, but they're far better than I thought they were. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. I, I, I begged, I, I differ a little bit. I, when Hightower opted out and Chung opted out, and I know Chung would have where he, where he would have fit in with the secondary, but I thought that that was enough to take them from winning the the division and giving Buffalo an edge. And Buffalo's two and zero, and they seem to be off to a good start. And the Raiders have Buffalo after the Patriots. Well, we'll talk about a schedule. The Raiders yeah. have New Orleans, they have New England, they have Buffalo, they have Kansas City, and then they have Tampa Bay with Tom Brady. You 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 show me a tougher schedule in football as they continue to get screwed with the schedule. But I think that the Raiders now being two and zero, they put themselves in a position to, I have them as the seven seed. I have them beating the Patriots. I have the Patriots not making the playoffs as a wild card and the Raiders and the Raiders making it. So I think this is an important game. Whoever wins this game, if the Raiders go three and zero, and the Patriots go one and two, I hate to break it on your podcast, but you're toast. You're not coming back from one and I don't think you're coming back from one and two being down two games to Buffalo in the division and being that far, not that far behind in the wild card, but I think it's going to be a a tough test if you can't beat Seattle and the Raiders back to back. Here's what I'll say that the Patriots are going to get some benefits with the schedule here. They're they're going to play Miami again, who they're going to beat, and they're going to play the Jets twice. That's going to end up turning into four total wins. Then they're going to see Denver without their starting quarterback. That's going to be a fifth win. Then they're going to see the 49ers without Garoppolo or, a, or without a healthy Garoppolo, they might be able to win that game at home. That's six. I mean, you start finding yeah. some other wins here. You know, I think they could beat the Chargers later in the year. I'm, I'm not sold on the Rams, although I might be proven wrong on that. But they might do enough to get to the to the nine-win threshold here. Yeah, I, I don't I, – I count them out. I don't want to talk about out, out both sides of my mouth. I'm counting them out, but not by much. I, I had the wild card teams as – Pittsburgh, because I think Baltimore is going to win the division. I picked yep. the Colts because I think Tennessee is going to win. And then, you know, I'm not picking the Raiders over Kansas City, so I moved them into a wild card situation. But I think that last wild card is going to come down to the Patriots, the Raiders, the Colts, and then maybe a team that we don't see that could be just a shock team that comes out of nowhere. Do you have the Raiders winning this game on Sunday? Well, I work for the team. I've never yeah. been on a radio show or anywhere in my life where I didn't pick them to win. So, you know, I'm not going to say they're going to lose, but this is a tough test. And again, I like where the Raiders, if the Raiders were healthy, and we say that about everybody, right? Everybody right. made it. But if the Raiders had Trent Brown, who you know well, yeah. they gave him 21 million bucks. If he's starting with Richie Incognito on the offensive line and they got, no, I'll just say if they had those two guys starting on the O line, I think it's over. I would have picked them to win comfortably because I think they could run the ball with Josh Jacobs behind that elite offensive line. But when you take T- Trent Brown as a game time decision, maybe out and no incognito on IR, I think that really gives the Patriots an advantage in this game. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. Fans can't see it yet. I'm sure you have seen it. What's that new stadium like? It looks like a spaceship. It's incredible. It's called the Depth Star Allegiant Stadium. You know, I, I explain it this way, and it's going to sound disrespectful, but who cares? Inglewood is where SoFi Stadium is. Yeah. No, no one wants to go to Inglewood. <laughs> You're not going to go on a vacation to Inglewood, correct? You're not going to. If, if the Patriots didn't play a game in Inglewood, you wouldn't go. 
you'd still come to Vegas if there was no such thing as the Raiders. You'd come out to Vegas on a vacation with your buddies. So imagine having a brand new $2 billion stadium on the strip that you could walk to from the MGM, Mandalay Bay, the Luxor, go see a football game, go to a sports book, get a steak dinner, go to a pool party, go to a nightclub. That's what they're going to offer now going forward. And it's going to, Brady, really help out the Raiders because we have no state taxes here. So players are going to want to play here. The cost of living is a little bit cheaper than California. And on top of it, it's going to be a facility. They got a brand new facility. When you get a chance, and for your viewers and listeners, Google the Intermountain Healthcare facility where the Raiders play. It's right behind Dallas now as the best practice facility headquarters in all of football. So the Raiders are here to stay. They got a cornerstone team based with Clemson and Alabama young players. Yeah. Got the coach and the GM and Mike Mayock. They got the stadium. They got a global fan base. And now it's launch. Now it's ready to go. But, you know, a win against the Patriots would really, really have a lot of the national media have to eat crow for kicking the Raiders in the ass all these years. Things looking up for the Raiders. Things have always been up for JT the Brick. National radio host, long time. You can hear him on Mad Dog Radio on Sirius XM, locally in Vegas as well. JT, I appreciate it. I will tell Arnie that you said hi, but I won't tell him all the compliments you gave about him. You got it. I really enjoyed it, Brady. Let's do it again. Appreciate it. All right, I want to thank JT the Brick for joining us. Again, one of the founding fathers of Sports Talk Radio. Good to hear from him. My first chance to speak with him as well. So, uh, and good, I can't believe another SUNY guy getting to the top of the media world. So, pretty interesting there. You know, he went to SUNY Geneseo, as we said. Christine Lisi, the update anchor for ESPN Radio, also went to SUNY Geneseo. So, I didn't know that Geneseo was pumping out uh, major broadcasters as well. Uh, wrap up the podcast with a couple of, of quicker segments. You know, I got to give Mike Tannenbaum of ESPN some credit. He said after week one that we were going to get to the point where we we're going to start discussing Cam Newton being a long-term Patriot sooner rather than later. We are already there. Okay, I think Cam is the answer for New England, at least for next year. I don't know, you know, about five years down the line, but at least for next year, I think he's the right way to go. How much money would it cost to keep Cam in Foxborough, Albert Breer, Monday morning quarterback, NBC Sports Boston on a 98.5 The Sports Hub this week. I think maybe you look at Ryan Tannehill's deal in Tennessee. Four years, 118, 62 million games. Maybe that's your, maybe that's your comp. I mean, like, look, it's, just, it's expense. Quarterbacks are expensive, guys. Four years, 118 million, 62 million dollars guaranteed. If I'm the Patriots, I can't give Cam four years now. I mean, look, he's going to be 32 years old. So you're talking about this year. Okay, Jeff Howard, the Athletic, had a really good piece this week that said the Patriots really can't do anything for this year for Cam. It's not like they can bump up his money this year. So you're going to let him play this year and then go give him four more, and you're going to keep him for 32, 33, 34, 35-year-old seasons. I don't know that you can trust Cam to stay healthy that long. If Cam could take a three-year deal, I'd be much more interested. I'm also not even against right now playing out this season, seeing how Cam does, and if he does great, I'll franchise tag him. And he can play on that. Dak Prescott's doing it. Kirk Cousins has done it. Nobody likes it, but you know, if it's going to pay you $37 million or whatever, it's certainly something to look at. And it's something to look at if you're Cam as well. I mean... Cam is now the answer for the Patriots. Listen, 
they aren't going to be bad enough to, to draft a stud. The free agent class is Dak, and he wants way too much money, and he's younger than Cam, so he's going to get it. Phillip Rivers, potentially, I don't need a 40-year-old quarterback. So your options are you're going to draft a mid-level quarterback who you probably haven't seen much of because of the weird college football season. You're going to go sign someone who's not as good as Cam, or you're going to play Stidham, who now we still don't know much about and only has two years left on his contract, and so there's not even a lot of time to figure out what we've gotten him. Cam is now the guy in New England. The question is just at how long and at how much money. If they gave him three years, $90 million, three years, $90 million, get you $30 million annually, say 55 of it's guaranteed or whatever, that's, that's an answer. That's a contract that I would really look at. And that would give Cam at least four years in New England, this year and three more. I would strongly consider doing that. 118 and 62 million, that's a lot. But three years, 90 million, 50, 55 guaranteed. I, I think that's a number that if Cam plays like this, he absolutely is going to be deserving of that. And if he stays healthy, he has answered all the questions. He's answered the questions about his attitude. He's answered, answered the questions about his health so far, about his performance, about how he's going to be able to play. Cam has gone through in flying color, in flying colors. Well, the Patriots lost on Sunday to Seattle. We do get our weekly check at Cam's wardrobe. Aaron, let's get to grading Cam's wardrobe. There's a rule in life. Look good, feel good, play good. You gotta look good, look good, play good, play good, play good, play good, live good. It's time for Graydon Cam's wardrobe. Hansel, so hot right now. Hansel. This one was a winner to me, Aaron. So, Aaron, I'll bring you in, our, our producer, Aaron Wells. Cam wore an all-gray outfit with a vest and a dress shirt underneath the vest. This one is a good one. This is an A-minus to me. I'm not much of a vest guy, but if you can rock it, rock it. And he's got the uh, the upper body to rock the vest. Um, what did you think of Cam's outfit on Sunday? Uh, I like everything but the shoes. I The shoes really don't work for me. Knocks it down to a B, personally. But he, he's killing the vest. I love the pocket watch with the chain around the button. I think that absolutely brings it all together. He looks like either a really savvy businessman from like the 50s or a gangster from the 20s. <laughs> so I like this. I like the shoes, though. He's got the sneakers and he's got the comfortable looking. Uh, he's got the comfortable looking sneakers here. Last week, he wore the dress shoes with no socks. I can't get by. He still is wearing no socks with these sneakers. I can't get behind the, the no socks with shoes look for the most part. The feet get sweaty. Then you try to put on the socks. It gets hard. I, that's the only reason it's not an A-plus for me. I always go crew socks. I don't, I don't think you can go ankle socks, especially with dress shoes. And if you're going to go sneakers with a suit, then ankle socks, it's, it's even worse. That's my take. Do you, do you see ankle? I see no socks. I see no socks. Are you seeing ankle socks? Uh, I can't tell actually. There's a little bit of white on his like bottom of his left, like right where his shoe ends on his left side. I think that might be his sock. Otherwise, it's it's sockless. Either way, either way, it doesn't work. If there are socks there, then I'm giving it an A plus. If there are socks there, I think this is a great look. This is better than his week one Mr. Peanut look. That I think the hat. The tie clip and the, the the watch chain are just so great. And I love the pinstripes, too. 
the white the 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 chain is good. You're right about that. Like the wrist of the pocket watch there with the chain to it. You're right. Yeah. Gangster from the twenties or uh Gal, you know, Galilei. That's like the that's like the uh, 1920s version of the Swiss Army knife. You just pull that out, and there we go. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's rocking it too. Like the glasses are great. The hat's great. <laughs> all of it. I wonder if Cam actually needs glasses. Like, does Cam wear contacts or something? I don't know. He wears he wears glasses a lot coming in and out of games, though. So I, I'm not sure if he needs them or if he just likes the way it looks. Or I don't know. But he rocks them. He wears he wears the visor during he wears the visor during the game. Do yep. visors come in prescription? They would have to. Like if Cam needs glasses, can he have a prescription visor? Uh, he might. I know. I think you had to. I remember in high school. I think you had to convince somebody that you needed a visor in order to have one, and that might have been why. I'm not totally sure. The visor just looks cool. Whenever I would create a player on Madden, always oh. with the visor. Yeah, every kid wanted one. That's why we all tried to figure out how to get one. We only got one guy who was able to convince whoever it is on the staff you have to convince. But, yeah, so we had this one kid named Brad who got to wear a visor, and we all thought he looked so cool. The visor <laughs> and the big giant mouthpiece that looks like the pacifier. That When, you're, oh, when yeah. you're creating a player, that's the look that you had to have. And you'd go, with the, okay. you'd go clear visor so you could still see the eye black underneath it. Yep. Have you ever have you seen the uh, mouth guards they're wearing that are like that and they have uh, the little fan and it spins when they breathe? I've seen a couple of running backs with those. Yes, I've seen that. I can't year. remember who I saw wearing it, but DK Metcalf for the Seahawks last week as he's going at Stephon Gilmore, he actually has the pacifier. Like it actually has a little thing that it you has, hold on it. Yeah, the the binky loop. Yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't get on board with that. Last year was okay because <laughs> he was the baby, he was a rookie, but this year, come on, you're all grown up now. <laughs> It definitely was a weird look with him, like, trying to fight Stephon Gilmore all game. <laughs> all right, let's finish up the podcast. Let's get to the Foxborough feel-good. The world is a tough place. Welcome to the real world. It sucks. And we all need a little pick-me-up. Here's your Foxborough feel-good for the week. Now I'm so happy. Foxborough feel-good is a is a... A good story out of a bad one. Still, the James White story is just tragic. The death of his father prior to Sunday's game with Seattle. He did not play. Still don't know when we're going to see him. If we'll see him this week. His mother was in critical condition at the time. And just everyone you've heard speak up about James White, speak on behalf of James White. John Gruden, the Raiders head coach, he spoke about it too. Um, Jonathan Jones, I watched the press conference yesterday. He was speaking about it. Matthew Slater, Devin McCourty. Um, it's an unbelievably horrific story. You feel for James White, but it shows you how tight-knit, again, the NFL community is, how tight-knit, even though as rivals as they are this week, how tight-knit the fraternity of NFL players and coaches are, um, that they are all behind James White and, and rooting for him. And those words don't mean anything. They can't bring back his father. They can't make his mother better, but they do. Um, just provide you with, again, a constant reminder that athletes are better people than a lot of people want to give them credit for. And uh, that's been good to see. It's been refreshing to see his teammates rally around him, the opposition rally around him. John Gruden also gave condolences to Bill Belichick and the Patriots organization for the passing of Bill Belichick's mother last week also. My ultimate prediction on this game is a close one, 30-24. Patriots will win. Again, that defense for Oakland 
just not good enough. Patriots will put up 30 for the second consecutive week. To our producer, Aaron Wells, to JT the Brick, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll be back next week recapping Patriots Raiders. Go Pats! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.